Well, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Tori Yoder. I'm the Director of Family Ministries here at Clay Church, and I am absolutely thrilled to be here with you this morning. And I was so excited when I was asked if I would be willing to give the message this week when I found out it was Galatians. And I just finished doing an in-depth Bible study on Galatians with some other wonderful ladies here at Clay and a few from outside the Clay community. Um, and the study we did was written by Beth and Melissa Moore. Um, and I'm here to tell you that Galatians is a powerful book. It is relevant. It is for such a time as this. And just like the rest of God's word, it will not return void. Um, and Beth Moore said in the study, Galatians calls us back to where we have veered off, not only from worldly influence, but from righteous influence. Veering off from righteous influence. How could that be? I'm trying to pursue a, a righteous life in Christ, but I'm veering off and I'm causing others to veer off. We're going to look at that a little bit more today. Um, so before we dive in, a couple of things about me for those of you who I haven't had the pleasure of getting to know. Um, one, I love conversations and I love questions. Probably ad nauseum if you ask people who really know me well. I ask questions all the time. That's how I learn. That's how I get to know people. I will remember really odd details that people have told me. Um, so this morning as we enter this conversation, I'm going to pose questions to you here in the sanctuary for those at home. And please, answer me out loud. Answer me out loud here in the sanctuary. If you're at home, answer out loud in your living room or your kitchen or wherever you are this morning. Type it in if you're watching online. Um, let's dive in and have a conversation this morning. As we enter and engage, would you pray with me this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are welcome in this place. Holy Spirit, come. Fill this room with your spirit, with your truth. May it draw us closer to each other and closer to you. Lord, I pray that we would hear you this morning. We give you this time, for you are worthy to be praised. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, letters. Do any of you still write letters? Oh, I see a hand. <laughs> a couple hands. Do any of you still receive letters? A couple. It, it's kind of a dying art, isn't it? Um, people consider it outdated and arduous, but letters can be treasures. Letters can encourage us. They can give proclamations, declarations. Um, they can tell us precious things that we treasure and even pass down. Do any of you have letters saved from certain people or groups of people? Maybe you have it bound up with ribbon or some string or in a hope chest or in a box and they're special treasures to you, right? Well, we are going to be diving in to some of the letters of the Bible starting today. It's a new series called Dear Church. Um, and the letters in the Bible are often referred to as the epistles, um, which is just fancy for letters. And usually epistles were written by or delivered from apostles. Um, and they were brought to or sent to churches that they had planted or that they had traveled and visited to. And those letters were a way to continue to teach, to continue to encourage um, so we're going to look at some of these letters, and like I said earlier, we're going to start in Galatians today. So do you know who is accredited with writing the most of the epistles? 
Paul, excellent. You guys are brilliant. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thank you so much. Yes, Paul, um, any guesses to how many most scholars would agree that he is accredited with writing? How, would it, how many would say more than five hands? Okay, uh, more than 10. He's accredited with 13. Um, so very prolific in writing. A lot of our New Testament is comprised of letters from Paul to the various churches. So here we go. Are you ready for this? We're going to have a pop quiz on Paul. Glad you came this morning, right? All right. It's not hard, I promise. And if you don't know an answer, that's great, because that means we'll all learn together. So let me ask you this about Paul. Was he one of Jesus's 12 disciples? No. Okay, wonderful. See, you guys are brilliant. Um, Was he, um, what's the right word here? Was he a a, a Jesus-following person all his life? No. Okay. He was raised in the church, right? He was a Jew of all Jews. Um, He was a Pharisee of the law, but he also was a persecutor of Christians, Um, being present and even approving the death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. But then he had an encounter, didn't he? Who did he have an encounter with? Jesus. Yeah, the right answer all the time, Jesus. Just say that and you'll be golden. So he had an encounter with Jesus, right? So he was living this trajectory of his life, but then Jesus. And I want you to remember that phrase, but then Jesus. So he has this encounter with Jesus, and it changes the trajectory of his life. Um, He goes on to become an apostle to the Gentiles. He does more to spread the good news of Christ in the first century than any other person. A man who had persecuted Christ's church went on to become the very one who proclaimed it and changed the world with it. He became a huge pillar of our faith, would you say? Um, and Paul, if you know anything about him, he was always so kind and gentle with his words, right? I hear laughing and I hear no, an adamant no, no. Paul did not mince words. He didn't mince words when it came to faith. He didn't mince words when it came to his own faults. He didn't mince words when it came to the gospel. The gospel. Paul uses that word six times in the first chapter of Galatians alone. So it must be pretty important, right? And we all hear the gospel used all different ways. We hear that phrase all the time. But if I met you out in the lobby or outside when we were done and asked you, what is the gospel? What would you tell me? It's a little harder than we think to explain that, right? So is the gospel the first four books of our New Testament? and crickets. People call that the gospel, right? The first four books of our New Testament is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Four writers explaining, giving the history, giving the life and ministry of Jesus. So it's used that way, but does that really tell me what the gospel is? Or we might hear or say the phrase, the gospel truth. Well, what does that mean? L. Ann Jervis sums the gospel up like this. She says, the grace of Christ is the gospel in a nutshell. The grace of Christ is the gospel in a nutshell. And as we get into Galatians, Paul is all about the grace of Christ. He greets us with it at the beginning of his letter. 
He experienced it, and he wants nothing more than for everyone to experience what he has, to be transformed. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I would invite you to grab them at home. Please do the same. If you use an app, that's awesome. And we're going to turn to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 26. So I'm going to read the whole thing to you. I'm reading from the CSB version. And then we're going to camp for the rest of the time after I read this in verses 13 through 15. All right? So here we go. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor, what is it? You know the rest. As yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So it starts out right there at the beginning of what we read today. We were called to be free. Freedom. What does freedom mean to you? Does it mean taking off your ball cap and standing and putting your hand on the heart and singing the anthem at a baseball game at a sporting event? Does it mean I can say what I want, how I want, to whomever I want? Is it my right to fill in the blank? Take a moment and in your mind Fill in that blank. Is it your right to, what is that for you? Fill that blank in in your mind. Is that the freedom that Christ died to give to you, to give to me? Is that the freedom that Paul is talking about here? Freedom's been kind of a hot topic in our culture and world for quite some time now. Would you agree? Yeah. Um, It's become almost divisive, if I can be as bold as to say that. And if you look up freedom, Merriam-Webster has eight definitions listed as main definitions. No wonder we're also confused about our freedom. No wonder we're willing to lose our tempers, lose our memberships, lose our jobs, and lose relationships fighting about it. Your freedom offends me. My freedom, it offends you. You get the picture. Have you seen or heard any of that in your recent memory? I know I have. Have you been on the receiving end of that 
or even the giving end of that recently? Are you more inclined to stand up for your freedom to do what you want because it's your right than you are to lean into the freedom that Christ gave you? So it's easy for me to read that first sentence of Galatians and stop. Stop internalizing it. Stop letting it soak into me. As soon as I hear, for you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Why? Well, that suits me. That serves me. Yeah, that, uh, that goes with my desires. But the sentence doesn't end there, does it? It goes on and says, only don't use this freedom is an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another in what? In love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, and again, you know this, love what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then just to be sure that we don't misunderstand, Paul comes back in verse 15 with, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. So hold on, you are telling me that people would bite at each other and devour each other and consume each other. Surely that was just in Paul's time, right? Huh. Yeah, not so much. Do you wake up every morning? Then you've seen it and you've heard it. The moment I start living in my freedom and serving others in love, loving my neighbor as myself, well, to quote Beth Moore from this study, she says, the command to love our neighbor trips a switch on our fears. If we're looking out for our neighbor, who's looking out for us? Well, God is. If, if we don't police our fellow believers, who will? Well, God will. Did you hear that? If we don't police our fellow believers. So right now, I'm going to invite you to watch your toes. And you might wonder why. I, I might be stepping on them. And I'm stepping on my own too, and it hurts. But the freedom of Christ calls us into a place of challenge. It calls us into a place of alignment with him. So I'm going to make sure that you are living in the freedom the same way I'm living in freedom. And if you're not, well, you are wrong. You are wrong. I'm not. You are. I might not say it that bluntly. I might just uh, give you the side eye. I might put up a uh, venting post or group text. I'm not going to use your name, of course. I'm just going to say some people. Um, oh, oh, better yet, I am going to tell my friends so we can be praying. I gossip, no, praying for your lack of freedom. And on and on it goes. And there it is. The biting and devouring that quenches the spirit. That grieves the heart of God. We see the biting at each other. We see the devouring of each other. We see it everywhere. We don't have to leave our homes. We don't have to leave our workplaces or our schools. We don't have to leave this building. And friends, it's within the church. It's within the church universal. 
It's within the church clay church. It's within the church down the street church. And then we wonder why people aren't interested in the freedom that we have. The freedom that calls us to follow Christ, to keep our eyes centered on him. We have boundaries that are given to us, absolutely. But here's what we do. So if you picture Christ as a ball in the middle of a circle, so Christ is the center. That's where we're called to focus. That's where we're called to follow. And then those boundaries are put around the outside of the circle, right? But where should my eyes be? The center, on God, on Jesus, following him. But here's what we like to do. Oh, look at that boundary over there. I wonder how close I can get to this one. Oh, wait a minute. Look at how close they are to that boundary. What are they thinking? Oh, wait a minute. No, that boundary, that's not how I do it. I get up at 6 a.m. That's a lie. I'm a night owl. I get up at 6 a.m. and do my devotions. They're not doing it right. I pray and I fast this many times. They're, They're doing it wrong. All of a sudden, where are my eyes? They're everywhere but where I'm called to place them. They're everywhere but on Christ. We have those boundaries, and they're put there to help us and protect us. But then as I watch you bump into the boundaries and decide to police you about it, I've picked back up a yoke of something that Christ has set me free from. Or I've placed that bondage on you for not following the way I do. And where are we? Right back in prison. We're right back in prison. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. Should we have accountability? Absolutely, yes, 100%. Should we correct in love? Make sure you hear that part, in love. As God leads us to, absolutely. Does it hurt? Yes. Is it hard? Yes. But what we should do should be rooted in the freedom that Christ gave for us, pointing people towards him, not repelling them from Jesus. And when we repel them, we make them feel enslaved again. And why would they want any part of that? I'll never be good enough. I can't do this. So this past beginning part of the weekend, Pastor Brian and I had the privilege of being with our confirmands for a mini retreat. And they are an absolute joy. Um, And they ask awesome questions, and they will be joining us here in this service in two weeks to take that next step of faith and proclamation as they stand here before you. And so part of our retreat was to do something fun. I guess it depends on who you ask. We went to a high ropes course. So thanks, Pastor Brian. No, it really was. It was fun. I've done those kinds of things before. I'm not afraid of heights. I love roller coaster. I have rappelled down mountains. I don't like climbing because I have no upper body strength, none, zilch, zero, okay? So we go, we're all harnessed up, looking really, really swag, let me tell you. Got the helmets on, nothing like a middle-aged woman in a harness, walking around with metal. It it was fantastic, fantastic. Um, But were any of you outside yesterday at all? Oh, 
Yeah, I hear your reaction. What was it yesterday? Windy, <laughs> not breezy. It was a beautiful day. It was windy. So we get there, we're all harnessed up, we go through the safety part, and we had a few students that were apprehensive. And I mean, if I'm being honest, I wasn't apprehensive about the height, I was apprehensive about falling off, not because I knew I would fall and hit the ground, because I know, safe, no problem. I was worried about being embarrassed trying to have to pull myself back up because I have no upper body strength. So they all get ready to go and I said, I'll just stay on the ground and I will be the encourager that walks along. You can do it, here's a step, I'll take some pictures. For those of you who are parents of our confirmands, I will send you pictures. Um, they overcame great things. We had people that were scared and they listened to encouragement, not just mine, but from their peers that would be like, come on, you can do it, just take this step, try it this way, I shimmied this way, it's easier, try it that way. And it was amazing to watch them overcome these things, to stay focused, to hear people encouraging them. So they got through the first time. A lot of them went back on and did a second time, then came around for the third time. And you'll notice where I have not told you I am yet, right? I am not up yet. And Pastor Brian's like, okay, come on, Tori, let's go. Oh, really? I don't know if we have enough time. And the kids we're like, come on, Tori, if you go, I'll go again. Okay, you got it. Up we went. So, again, I'm not scared. The first couple obstacles are fine. Fine, not duh. Then we're on like the fourth one, and Pastor Brian and I are standing on the platform on the tree, so not even on the obstacle. Oh, and the wind. You could feel, I am not exaggerating, the whole tree moving. And I'm not even on the obstacle yet. And I was just like, Lord Jesus, please, please. Kept going. Brian's behind me, and every once in a while I would stop because the wind would pick up and those things would start moving even more. And he's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm good. and just waiting for the wind to die down before I keep going. Because remember, I don't want to fall off because I don't want to be embarrassed because I have no upper body strength. Okay. So I want to show you something. This might gross some of you out. I'm going to show you a bruise. Okay. But I want you to see this. All right. That's just the start. Can you see it? I have it all the way up this arm, and I have it all the way up this arm. Why? Because I was clinging to those cables because I did not want to fall off. I was hanging on like my life depended on it. Even though I knew I wasn't going to fall, I knew my C-clamp was going to hold me on these cables that hold jet planes before they take off of aircraft carriers. They're going to hold me. But I was hanging on for life. Do I hang on to my freedom in Christ? Like I was hanging on there. Mm, depends on the day. Depends on if it's convenient for me. If it serves me and my purposes. He's there in the center. He is that tether. Might you trip a little? Yeah. Might it hurt a little when you have to use your upper body strength that you don't have by getting into the word, by praying, by getting into relationships and being honest with people? Yeah, it might. But he won't fail us. And we just have to cling to him. Freedom. Freedom in Christ isn't only for me. It's not only for you. The freedom we are offered in Christ, it's for anyone who would accept it. It's for those who talk differently than me. 
It's for those who vote differently than me. It's for those who have different practices than me, different skin colors than me. It's for those who don't deserve it, just like me, just like me. Can we stop trying to police our neighbor? Can we stop trying to police our brothers and sisters in Christ? Could we just focus, follow, and love? Could we continue to have moments of transformation, moments like Saul? As we read through that passage, it talked about walking in in the Spirit. It implies motion. It implies a journey. We don't just say, Jesus, I'm yours, and stay stagnant until he calls us home. It is a journey. It requires motion and movement. He will guide us and lead us and walk with us every step of the way. And then we can continue to have those transforming moments. But then, Jesus, he will lead every single time. There will be beauty and healing and peace. The shackles of bondage will fall off. And we will experience true freedom. And we'll want everyone to experience that with us. Can you even imagine what that would look like? I think we get glimpses sometimes. But can you imagine what that would look like if we all just truly followed him and embraced that freedom? It would become so contagious to those who are around us that they would want nothing more than to know how we got it. How do you do it? It doesn't mean we have it figured out. And let me tell you, there is nothing that you have done that is bigger than the freedom that Christ offers you. Nothing. And here's the even better news. There is nothing that I think you have done that will take away that freedom. Nothing. As we prepare to sing and pray and enter a time of Holy Communion this morning, I want to challenge you. Will you ask yourself, am I walking in Christ's freedom or am I walking in my rights? Would you take time and reflect on that? Would you give it to Jesus? He will help us figure it out and take the next steps and stop policing each other? Will you rise to the challenge that Paul is calling you to, that he's calling me to, the challenge to love and serve my neighbor, even when we disagree? Will you rise to the challenge to live in freedom that is so freely offered to you and to me this morning? Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy that is new every morning. Thank you for the freedom that you offer us. Despite anything that we may think would stand in the way, that you would meet us right there with that freedom. Lord, I pray that we would hear and let it penetrate to the very core of our being, that there is nothing that we have done that is bigger than the freedom that you would offer us. Lord, may we embrace that this morning and every day. 
May we be challenged to further your kingdom here on earth. For you are magnificent, holy, and worthy to be praised. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.